Let's read uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. So Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Well, last week we went through the first part of this section talking about praying with Paul and highlighting the joy that Paul has in people and his thankfulness for people. And we're going to go through this same section again and highlight some different different things this week, but we're still going to talk about where does Paul's joy come from and what can we learn through these prayers of Paul and how can we apply it to our lives. So first let's look at verses 3 through 6, which I want you to notice something. It's, it's all one sentence, verse 3 through 6. So it's one sentence and it has this structure at the end, past, present, and future. Now my Bible has a period at verse 5, but really verse 6 is the continuation of the sentence there. And just notice that as we read through this one more time. Past, present, and future. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So there's past, present, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, future. So that is all one sentence, and a lot of times we take that verse 6 and we kind of pull it out as a standalone sentence, but it's actually the second half of that sentence in verses 3 through 6. Now, I always, I kind of hesitate to, to do this in one way because verse 6 is a common verse that people kind of cling to in terms of salvation specifically, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And that's true, that salvation is a work that God began and he will complete it. He's faithful to do that. And I want to show you a verse in Thessalonians that says that exact thing. If you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, let's read this verse. Because...
think that's right. First Thessalonians five, verse twenty three and twenty four, says basically exactly what we think of when we think of that verse, he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So if that's what you think of when you think of that verse, that's that's a true statement. And here's another verse that says basically what most people think of when they read that. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So there's that same idea, salvation, sanctification, that God started in you. He's going to carry it on to completion. God is faithful. He will surely do it. He's going to bring you through to the end, perseverance of the saints. But this verse in Philippians is really broader than that. It includes that idea, but includes more than that. And it really doesn't say salvation or sanctification here, the good work that it's referring to is this partnership in the gospel in verse 5. And let's look at verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, and I think you'll see the flow that the main idea there is the partnership in the gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, past, present, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, future, future referring to that, partnership in the gospel it is right for me to feel this way about you all because i hold you in my heart for you are all partners same word there or partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel so it talks about partnership in the gospel then it is verse six the main verse that we think of he began a good work and you will complete it and then it goes on why is it right for me to feel this way because you're partners with me in the gospel from my imprisonment partakers of me with grace in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel so partnership in the gospel verse six partnership in the gospel verse seven it's very clear that this is what he's the main idea is here so it's a little bit broader than just salvation it's talking about fellowship koinonia partnership in the gospel. So we really need to talk about that word. It's in Greek, koinonia, but it's translated fellowship, partnership, participation in the gospel. And I think the easiest way to get across the idea of what it means is some of the negative verses in the New Testament that say what you shouldn't have fellowship with. So I'll give you a couple here. Uh, When Paul in Corinthians is talking about the Lord's Supper, he says, are we not all partakers of the one body? That's the fellowship, that's participants, that's partnership, that's the same word. And then he says, you don't want to eat food sacrificed to idols, why? Because you're particip- you don't want to be participants with demons. Same word, fellowship, uh, partakers. In John, he says, when you... Have somebody who's teaching a false doctrine, don't greet them because you don't want to take part in their sins. Uh, In Timothy, when he says, don't be quick on laying on of hands, why don't you want to do that? Because you don't want to take part in their sin. Um, Hasty in laying on of hands, you see that he's saying in all these situations, 
you don't want to be participants with these negative things. You don't want to be participants with demons and eating food sacrificed to idols. You don't want to be participants with somebody if you lay hands too quickly and, and it turns out that you're participating, you're having a part in sin. All these things are the idea here, the same word in Philippians 4, 5, 6, and 7. Fellowship, partnership, participation, partakers of. And I'll give you one more verse uh, from Matthew. You remember when the Pharisees were talking about how in the past people had persecuted the prophets. They said, if we had lived back then, we wouldn't have taken part in the shedding of blood of the prophets. You remember this? That's that same word, koinonia. We wouldn't have participated. We wouldn't have been participants. We wouldn't have had a part in that. That's the same idea here, that what we're talking about is you have a share, you have a part, you're a participant, you have fellowship in the gospel. And that's the good work that God began in the Philippians and he's going to complete in the day of Christ Jesus. Now I want to show you one verse here that's kind of a lot that I threw at you, but I want to show you one more verse in Philippians to show you that same idea. If you jump to Philippians 4, Philippians chapter 4. Verse 15 is what we're going to look at. Let's start on 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the, of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, same word, fellowship, participation with me, in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. So here's the idea that we, we partner in the gospel in this specific case when we support, when we give, but there's more to it than that. There's, there's a lot more to it than that. Now, the reason we say all this, bring all this in, is just to remind you that when I hear this word fellowship, I think of something more passive. Whereas this is an active participation in the gospel. You're actively participating, and he says, from the first day until now. And so one of the reasons Paul has joy in his prayer for them is that they are partners. They're not just someone who's been saved and he's moving on. He's, they're still having this active particip participatory relationship as they move on, even as he leaves Philippians, uh, Philippi. And he's 700 miles away now in Rome, and yet they're still sending Epaphroditus. 700 miles is a long way to go by foot or even if they probably by foot there's basically no modern equivalent that I can think of maybe like Mount Everest it would take us probably like the only place that I could think of where it would take us months to get there as a modern society because we can fly you know on a plane um, but it was a big deal for them to send someone to send a gift 
So what does this mean for us? I, I want you to just think about this. And first, I just want to ask you this. Is this how you see yourself in terms of the gospel? Do you see the, your relationship with the gospel as you are a participant in the gospel today? Are you participating in the gospel today? From the first day until now, could Paul say this about you? You've been a participant in the gospel from the first day until now. You're my partner in the gospel. What is the gospel? The, there's, we could spend a whole message on that, but the verse I really like is 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died once for sins. The righteous, that's him, for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. What's the gospel? The good news is the good news of Jesus who came, lived a perfect life for us who didn't live a perfect life, who deserved to die, and he died in our place. Why? That we could know God, that we could be right with God, that we could have a relationship with God. And, and he verified that in his resurrection from the dead. That's the gospel. Is that something that you participate in? Do you have an active participation in that today? Is that something you have a part in? This Part of that is for me. I've got a part of that. That's mine. I'm a participant in the gospel. I'm a partner in the gospel. That's what Paul is praying here. That's why Paul has this close-knit, joyful, thankful relationship with the Philippians because they are. They're, par- they're partners in the gospel. And that's really what this verse is talking about. Verse 6 is really an assurance that, yes, if you're a Christian, you're going to make it to the end. That's part of being a partner in the gospel means you're a Christian. But it also means active participation throughout your life. And he's saying that that's going to continue and that's going to bear fruit. And that's the assurance that he's giving them here. So what does it mean for us? Well, first, it means something different than consumerism, doesn't it? It's, It's not consumerism. It's participation that we as a church and Christians throughout the world aren't just consumers. We don't come to church and hear a message and it's like entertainment. I listen and I think, well, was that good? Was that good? Was that not good? Was that boring? Was that introduction too long? Did he spend too long talking about coin in the end? It was kind of boring or whatever. We are not consumers. We're participants. That it's not something you come and you consume and you go home and that's it. That's not the gospel. That's not the relationship of the gospel in the Bible. It's something we're actively participating in day in, day out. It's not something we settle down and we settle in. I know the gospel. I've been a Christian. I can sit down and I can relax and because I'm on my way to heaven. And the active part's over. I've already accepted. That's not the way it is. There's a really good story in uh, Numbers 32 that that kind of illustrates this from the Old Testament. It's when they're going into land and some of the Israelites find this spot and they feel like, man, this is a good spot. I'm, I think I kind of want to just build my home here. And so that's what happens in Numbers 32. I'll read a little bit of it. In Numbers 32, they find this good spot. They don't really want to keep going. They don't want to go across the Jordan. And so they say in verse 16 of Numbers 32, 
Then they came near to Moses and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each one of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will take up arms and go before the Lord for war, and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. So Spurgeon uh, says on this that doing nothing is a sin that is so off, that is not so often spoken of as it should be. It's sadly common among professed Christians and needs to be dealt with. The sin is to forget one share in the holy war and to be, that is to be carried out for God and for his church. This text, he's talking about Numbers 32, condemns idleness and self-indulgence. On Sunday, some worshipers care only about feeding their souls. Soul-saving is pushed into the background unless we shake off that horrible selfishness and fell the essence of and feel the essence of our religion lies in love, and that one of the first fruits of it is to care about the salvation of others, then this text solemnly threatens us. So he's talking about here, they could have settled down, and that's kind of what they wanted to do, just settle down, I found my inheritance, I'm going to settle down here, and Moses basically says, you can't do that. There's all these others. We haven't taken the land yet. You've got more to do. You've still got to be a participant. Come with us. Fight in the land, and then you can come back and settle down once the whole land has been taken. And that's where we are in terms of the gospel. We don't want to just settle down and become consumers and, wow, I've got my share in the, in, in the inheritance, and I'm just going to settle down here and not be a participant anymore. I've got what I hope to get. We want to continue on from the first day until now to be participants, not consumers, participants in the gospel. What else is this passage really teaching us about the body here? Why is Paul so thankful and joyful for the Philippians? Well, they're participants. They're not consumers. They're still actively supporting him. They're still working out in their own context, suffering for Jesus, serving Jesus, sharing Jesus. We can see that. Think about the story in Acts 16. As soon as they became Christians, they're taking Paul in, they're washing his wounds, they're sharing the gospel with their family, Lydia's inviting people into the home, and she's basically telling Paul, if you, if you consider me a Christian, then come to my house and let, and let me serve you. And so she's this, you see this active participation, you see them receiving the gospel and becoming Christians, and not only that, you see their immediate in, entering into the participation with Paul of the gospel, they're partakers with him, they have a part in it. And so we want to be like that. We don't want to be consumers. What else? It kind of grates at and rubs away our Western individualism. So this text is kind of combating consumerism, but it's also combating individualism. That when I read verse 6, my first thought is, this is about me, my personal salvation, period. Right? 
And that's how we take it. But it's plural. It's The you is plural there. It's talking about you, the work he began in you all. God's going to carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. Not only does he say you, you plural, he says all over and over in this passage. That we, as a church, don't enter into this idea of it's just me and Jesus at the exclusion of all the other people around us. We want to be participants, meaning we're partners. Who are you partnering with? We're partnering with everyone else here that's a Christian. And not only that, really, it goes beyond that, but at least it's here in our church. But as like we see here, it can be others. It can be people 700 miles away that we're supporting and trying to encourage and trying to lift up in prayer. And so we, we want to intentionally fight this Western individualistic idea of Christianity because it's not what the Bible is really talking about. The Bible, it's a community that are participants, partners together. And that's what, how Paul is praying here. No wonder he's praying with joy and thankfulness because he's got this idea of this body that's not just me and Jesus. It's all of us together, partners in the gospel. Another text that really teaches the same thing is the Lord's Prayer. I mean, think about all the you's and the we's. I mean, for me, when I think of the Lord's Prayer, we've covered this before, it says we, 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 and in my mind I change that to me, 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 me. Forgive us our sins. Give us our bread. It's all plural. It's not just me praying for my needs today. It's me praying for our needs today. And I, I want to be like that. And that's the way Paul is here. That's what Paul is highlighting here. So it's not just consumerism. It's participation in the gospel. The gospel is not individualistic. Although it is for your personal salvation, it's more than that. You become a partner in this, this broader work. What else? It's not just intellectualism. So look at this second half of this uh, passage here 8 to 11 let's just read it again because we've kind of been focusing on 3 through 7 for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God we see here participation, not just ideas. This is not just a text about ideas and ideas that you need to find true. That's true. We need to find ideas that are true in the gospel. But look what happens. Paul is feeling things deeply. He, he's talking about love. He's praying for them specifically that with their love there would be more knowledge added and discernment. Why? So that they can act in a way that is pleasing to God. It's more than just ideas. I can say I believe uh, that George Washington was the first president. That's an idea. It's a fact. But it doesn't, I can't say I'm a partner in the fact that George Washington was the first president. I'm not a, particip- I'm not a participant in that. But with the gospel, I can say that. Not only do I believe it, I have a part in it. 
I am an active participant in this gospel that, yes, did Jesus die and rise again? That's a historical fact, just like the fact that George Washington was the first president. But there's a difference because I am now an active participant in my daily life in that gospel, in the thing that happened historically. And it's not just an idea anymore. It's something that changes me and changes how I live every single day. It's more than an idea. I'm a participant now. I have fellowship with you all. We're all co-partners in this gospel. It's more than an intellectual idea. We could sit down, you and I, and we could talk. You know, The idea of fellowship is, like I said, partnership. And we could talk theology all day long, but we want more than that, don't we? We don't just want to talk about ideas all day long. We want our lives to be participants, partners in the gospel, and that to go out, not just, not just here, to go out in our, day, in our lives, in our hearts, in our emotions, in our love for the people. And that's what Paul is really praying for here. And also he's exhibiting, right? I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Well, praise the Lord for that. And I want that to be in my life. I want that more. Um, well, one more thing here. Not only is it not, it's something different than consumerism, it's something different than individualism, it's something different than intellectualism, and all those things, it's participation in the gospel, fellowship in the gospel. And I hope you can see as we're talking through this, that fellowship, this word for fellowship, is not passive. It's this active, daily participation. And then one more thing I want to highlight that it's, it's really combating is professionalism. And this is really more for pastors and it's still helpful for all of us. Notice in verse 1, he says at the end of his greeting, with the overseers and deacons. This is the only time he does this. And it seems like there's something going on here. We don't really know what. But there's something going on here with the pastors and the church and the deacons in the church. And he's wanting, some, for some reason, and we don't know exactly what it is. We could take a guess. But he's wanting for some reason to highlight they're with, they're a part of the saints with the overseers and the deacons. And then he says all over and over and over in these verses 3 through 10. He's saying all of you are participants. All of you, all of you, all of you. Not just the pastors, not just the deacons, all of you. You're all participants in the gospel. And so let me ask you this. When you hear that participation in the gospel... I want you to think, moms at home with kids trying to show the gospel, live it out, be like Jesus, trying to share the gospel with their kids, trying to work it into their hearts, trying, trying to teach them. That's participating in the gospel. That is a partner in the gospel. That's what he's talking about. He says When he says all, he is talking certainly about moms. He's talking about... When you go to your job and you are trying to work like you would want Jesus to work and live out the gospel in your daily life, be transformed because now you want to do a good job, not just for you, not just to look good before people, but because you know I'm working for the Lord. And you have an opportunity to share, you share. When you have an opportunity to show, you show. When you have an opportunity to give, you give. When you have an opportunity to encourage, you encourage. Those are all ways you're partnering in the gospel I mean, and think about this, love, right? 
when you have an opportunity to love, and that's overflowing from the love that you receive from Jesus, that's a partner in the gospel. You're participating. What Paul says here is you're partakers, you're partners with me. Look at verse 7 again. You're partners with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Well, we could put that in three headings. You, how do you participate in the gospel? When you suffer for Jesus, when you make a decision, I think this honors Jesus and this is going to cost something, that's participation in the gospel. You're participating. And when you suffer like Jesus, you don't complain. You say, you know what, Lord, this is for you. I give this to you. You're a good God and I trust you. That's showing, participating in the gospel. Defense. This is kind of, this is the word, um, be ready to give a reason for the hope that it is within you. You're giving a word. You're giving a reason. You're saying the gospel is true because this, this, and this. When you have an opportunity not just to suffer for Jesus, but to say something for Jesus, that's participating in the gospel. You're a partner in the gospel when you do that. And in the, not only the defense or the re, giving a reason, but in the confirmation of the gospel. How do you confirm the gospel? When you live the Christian life and you actually are pursuing holiness and you're actually different than you were before, you're confirming the reality of the gospel. Why? Because you are living in a way that shows Jesus' gospel really changed me. And I'm really different. I'm not the Andrew Turner that used to be walking around on the earth. That Andrew Turner is gone. He's dead. What happened? Jesus died and, and in a real way killed that old Andrew Turner and there's a new person living within me and that's confirming the gospel. That when, when my wife laughs because of how different somebody from high school would describe me than now and how it's the opposite, that is a confirmation of the gospel. Wow, I'm a different person, unrecognizable um, to my old friends and you are too. If you're a Christian, you're confirming the gospel as you live your life different than the world and different than you used to be. Praise the Lord. You're a partner. And so as we go through our day and through our lives, I want me personally, this to be worked into my life. One, I'm not just an individual um, trying to live me and Jesus. I'm a partner. There's this greater work beyond me, this kingdom that I'm a part of, and that as I go through my day, I'm defending, confirming the gospel with how I walk, talk, live. Praise the Lord. And here's the really, really encouraging part. Verse 6 says, we are guaranteed success. That's what he says. As you partner in the gospel from the first day until now, what's gonna ha- what is he sure of? He's sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Does that mean you're going to be saved on the last day? Yes. Does it mean more than that? Yes. It's talking about, it's talking about the success of this partnership in the gospel. The gospel is going to go forward. The gospel is going to advance. Your partnership in the gospel when you're at home with your kids is not in vain. God's going to bring it on. God's going to use it, and he's going to use it for good in the kingdom. When you're a foster parent and you're trying to work the gospel into these kids, they're with you for however long and then they're gone, that's not going to be in vain. You may not see it now, but God is using all your partnership in the gospel. And one day, on Judgment Day, at the day of Christ Jesus, you're going to see how all that kingdom partnership you participated in was effective. It was doing something. God had a purpose for that. It wasn't in vain. It may not be the purpose you were hoping. 
may not be exactly what you hoped you would see, but one day you're going to see that this partnership in the gospel bore fruit. God began the good work. He's going to carry it on to completion, which means, yes, personal salvation, but it means more. It means, for me, one thing I feel sometimes is, well, I get up and I share, I do my best. Is my best the best in the world? No, it's not. But I do my best, and I can just trust in this verse. You know what, God? I'm trying to partner in the gospel. Did I give the best sermon? Did I knock it out of the park today? Maybe not. But you know what? God's going to carry it on to completion. This good work that started today, uh, that started at the beginning and carries on through today, he's going to bring it to the end, to completion. So, let's finish up by just applying it to us. Fellowship this fellowship, this partnership, is something we can lean into. We want to embrace this. We want to live it out. We want to see it in our lives, and we want to have confidence that God's going to use it. You are a partner in the gospel. You're defending and confirming the gospel, and you should take encouragement. God's going to bear fruit. That's God's going to use that. Remember what we talked about last week. There's no B-team Christians. That's what this text is saying. You're all partners of the gospel. He's thanking God for all of you. You're all, all the Christians. All of them. He who began a good work in you all will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. We've got to get away from professionalism. That It's like a, a rowing team. You know rowing where they... There's, you know, there can be one guy in the boat or there goes up to eight, okay, uh, in the Olympics anyways. So they're all in the boat and, you know, they're rowing and they um, are trying to row in sync. The crazy thing about rowing is you take the Olympic gold medal team, eight, eight rowers, and you take the two best. Are they going to be faster or slower than the eight? They're actually slower. So you take your two best guys and you put them in a boat and they row together, they're slower than the eight guys, even though you took the best out of the, two, out of the boat. And you do the same thing with the two. You take the best guy out of those two. Is he going to be faster or slower than the two? He's slower. When, when you're rowing by yourself, you, even if the people around you, let's say you're the best rower in the boat, even if you're the best rower in the boat, if you go by yourself and you say, I- I'm not going to row with these guys. These guys are slowing me down. I can row faster. I can row harder. I can grow, row longer than all these other guys. I'll just go by myself. You're going to get there slower. Because when they're all combined, they all combine their efforts and they row together, it's faster. And that's the way we are as a church. We're partners. And all of us together, if we can get in sync, we're all partners in the gospel. We're encouraging one another and we're rowing. We're wanting to... In, that, in this case, show, share, live out the gospel, we're going to do better than we would as any individual. And, and the amazing thing about that is, the reality is, is that those eight rowers that can row faster than the four, than the two, than the one, they're actually, not only are they faster, they've got one guy in the boat who doesn't row at all. He sits in the front and he calls the cadence. So not only are they faster, they're carrying a whole other person uh, who doesn't row at all who's just saying row, you know, he's, he's, counting the, um, he's counting the cadence of the strokes and trying to keep them in unison. It's pretty amazing, really, and that's the way the church is. 
we're working together and we can do more together when we get in sync than we, any one of us or even the best of us just separating off on, on ourselves could do. That's the way the church is. That's what fellowship is. It's partnership. So this is the way we want to see it. This is the way I want you to see, and I want to see my marriage, right? Is you, do you see your marriage as you just rowing as fast as you can and your, your wife's in the boat behind you and you say, see if you can pick up the pace? Or do you slow down your pace and say, let's row together. Let's see, let's see if we can go together. That's, that's better. That's the way it really is. And that's the way the church is. We've got a marriage that's on a mission. We're, we've got a church that's on the mission. And the goal is not just to get in the boat by yourself and row as fast as you can. It's to get all of us together in sync, pulling for the gospel, you know, and encouraging one another. Because we're partners. Why don't we pray together? God, I just thank you for this passage. I do pray. Just there was a lot of thoughts. I just pray that there would be something that sticks out and is helpful. And I pray that we would have joy in one another and that we wouldn't just see one another as um, I go to church with so-and-so, and, but we would really see each other as partners in the gospel. And would you help us to be more united in our families on mission? Would you help us to be more united as a church on mission? Would you help us uh, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, and find joy in one another because of this partnership? And so we lift up this time to you. We thank you for it. And we just, in faith, give all this fellowship, all the daily, weekly things we're doing outside of the meeting to try and be partners in the gospel. We give all that to you, Lord, and trust that there's a purpose and that it's going to bear fruit in the day of Christ Jesus. We hand it to you. Thank you that you take us and take our weaknesses and you want to use it and you want to be a partner with us. You want to know us. So we just are thankful for that. Would you make it more real day to day for us? Pray you'd help anyone that was discouraged today. Just pray you'd encourage their hearts. We commit it all to you. You're a good God. We love you, and we trust you. Amen.